Space makers, if you're like me, you like to have an accessory that stands out. So for me, I like a big, bold earring. And that's why I love the work of my co-host. She has an incredible handmade jewelry line made from recycled and repurposed leather. We are all about repurposing, friends. Her work you can find on Instagram at thejshop.thej. J, just the letter, J. You can also find her work at etsy.com slash shop slash shop the J. And when you check out, use code MAKINGSPACEPOD for 15% off your purchase. I'm telling you, these are my favorite earrings and they're such a statement piece and people will be definitely making space for you in these. Hello and welcome to the Making Spaces podcast. I am uh, one of your co-hosts, Sarah Heath, and this is... Josie Jimenez, the other co-host. And this is a podcast about making space for yourself, literally or figuratively. Um, We have had quite a week. 2021 (laughs) turns out stroke of midnight when the calendar changed. Things didn't miraculously become better. Who knew? Who knew? I think everyone knew. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm not going to say that. I don't know how to say this like well, but I would say you're not really an optimist. Oh, absolutely not. I'm um, on the spectrum of ist. <laughs> I am <laughs> probably a realist leading towards pessimist. Just a little mm. touch of pessimism. Just a little, a realist with a touch of pessimism. Perhaps. Yeah, I mean, because like I um, understand the reality of humanity and the downfalls of humanity. Mm. And then I just assume it's going to go to shit. <laughs> Whereas I'm like, Maybe. I like to think of myself as like a realistic optimist. You see, that's why we balance each other out. It's cute. We really do. Uh, There was a great card that you're making for your um, card company that I loved that was like, (laughs) I have a big ass, you're an ass. Or was it, you have a big ass, I'm an ass. I am an ass, yeah. We're perfect I am a big ass, yeah. It's true. I was wondering, I was like, I think that was about us um, and our friendship. It's great. (laughs) Um. So what has happened and kind of we were we were joking a lot off, not joking, we were talking a lot off um, offline about this uh, horrible coup attempt is I, the only thing I know how to call it um, and sort of the implications of how do we as a culture and society make space for the events of January 6th? How do we understand ourselves within it? How do we acknowledge the fact that if those were black and brown bodies, they wouldn't have made it to the floor of the Senate? Um, How do we, how do you move forward and why, oh, why, as someone who's sitting watching the news, because we had a bunch of stuff going on and actually you'll, you'll, I believe you can hear in our interview with um, our next guest, I believe you can hear us sort of live reacting because my friend was texting me with images of it. what how do you move forward how do you make space both for your grief your reaction what are your thoughts around all this josie don't even get me started but i'll say a little (laughs) bit Um, (laughs) i as a um semi-well-informed citizen saw this coming what can i say ever since 2016 election season and people are like josie it's not a big deal if donald trump gets elected Um, Coming from a family who is um, of an immigrant nature, (laughs) uh, from Mexico, I don't know, (laughs) Um, and from Latin America, you see that the United States has a, 
you know, thrown, thrown over a, a bunch of our governments and you kind of know the signs when that kind of shit's going to happen. And Donald Trump had all the little hallmarks, all the check boxes were checked. Um, yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm very disgusted, obviously, and very saddened. But what do you expect? I'm really sad just in, as I think about the people, like that real grief and frustration and anger and hurt. And I don't believe in the, the I well, in some ways I do believe in the, there are good people on both sides, but that's not what I mean by that. And I don't mean it like Donald Trump means it. Um, there are damaged people. There are people who are, um, you know, there, I read a quote from um, last night in our theology on tap about how sometimes we, you know, we have free will if we are okay with the strings and recognizing we're puppets. Um, and I think mm -hmm. people going on and on about freedom and you're like, do you not see the, the strings that are pulling is actually you're listening to someone's behavior. You're actually behaving in a way that someone else is controlling your behavior. So, um, whether you think you are acting out of free will or not, um, it's just really disturbing. Uh, it's really scary. And it tells me that the country has a lot of healing to do. And, um, you know, I, I think that there is just a lot of ugliness popping up. My best guy, like, just like, look, like we, this needed to happen. This needed to happen. Um, so that people, not that needed to happen, but something needed the silliness uh, aggrandizement needed to see you know mm -hmm. yeah so, i don't know it's uh i just wild i hate times. that it was it was so scary and people died yep people, people died a cop died, died. that's so, not a protest and a woman died yeah yeah it's and three uh, other people sad times i know i don't i haven't heard news on the other three people but at least one from each side has died at this point uh, one guy which is died of a heart attack while standing in the square. How sad. Right? And no How one gets sad. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't, his family said and not I mean, a violent person. He literally was going to hold signs and yeah. yeah. Just a mess. And we just wanted to acknowledge it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And say, oof, that's a mess. Oof. What do you do? Who knows? But, um. The country trucks along. <laughs> Inauguration day is a few days away. Um, yeah. It is. Did you know that Donald Trump is not going to the inauguration? Size official announcement. Never expected him to go. I don't think his ego could handle it. No, I think it's all about. No, exactly. And it shows that he um, he doesn't want his supporters to believe that he's backed down of what. But so as, right. as people who are space makers and people who aren't willing to um yeah aren't willing to let it just be what it is and continue the what it is uh this like massive bipartisan horrible split stuff i think it's important for us to just pause acknowledge people's pain and see that this is like this is the work is not it's just beginning the work uh is beginning and 
we have to be willing to like have really tough conversations and ask really hard questions. Like why, what is it about this person? What kind, what is your pain that makes you yell? And you know, what is happening to people that they feel so disenfranchised? What is the fear that is causing? Cause they were acting, people were acting like the eyes and you look at these people, these people are enraged into this belief that even though other leaders that they trust are saying, Hey, look, we know that this election wasn't stolen. These people are absolutely enraged and believe that something horrible has happened to them. So we have to talk about like, what is the thing that you're missing that this is filling, you know? Yeah. I would argue that as somebody who loves learning about cults, it has <laughs> kind of turned into that, right? Into this yeah. blind belief in a dude which, you know, is understandable. We all fall into our own version of little cults, but this is pretty intense. It's very Jonestowny, you know. It is. There's a lot of deprogramming that needs to happen. But I don't know. It's um, a sad day when not only are people storming the Capitol, but people on the police side of things weren't prepared the same way they were for other protests in the summer of 2020. Yeah, that's a lot of the work is going mm -hmm. to be um, being honest about. Now, part of it is that they are partly controlled by the executive branch and the executive branch was the one that was saying, hey, let's how messed up is it and how can we move forward? So all that to say, we didn't want to do a podcast this that was coming out in January of 2021 without admitting that we know all of this soup is going on. And so what I keep thinking about is uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, you know, really what we have to do is sort of focus on our little, like, what is our part? How can we, um, I think for us, it's the people that we have influence with and over and they have influence over us and actual relationship with. And so part of this podcast is really about exposing people to people that maybe think differently than them, but who are making space. This is the, this is the work that we do to help hopefully change. Um, even if it's one person, it's totally worth it. And even if it's just giving someone the sense of like, oh, I can continue to do this work, even when it's discouraging. Because let me tell you, sometimes it gets really exhausting to feel like, wow, I can never fix the screaming people. Um, to recognize what our work is and what our place is. So we wanted to recognize that. I know lots of people are saying really helpful things that we are not, um, but we can be honest about, hey, this is going on. Yeah. Thanks for letting us share, friends. <laughs> yes, that's right. We, um, we have got opinions, you know? Um, all right. So uh, we've got some really fun things going on. Before we hop into this episode, let's actually talk about the fun things. So we have been working on this idea of having a Patreon that isn't just about content. So we have got, thank you so much to our Patreon folks who have signed up. I should have the list of those names and I don't. So next episode, we're going to say thank you to all of our Patreon people. Um, and I am excited because our $25 a month rate you get a box that will come quarterly that has really great and kind of cool stuff in it. And we've been having fun picking stuff out. So um, 
each box will have at least one art piece. It's also going to have some swag. It's going to have some sort of tool or, um, by the way, I just got tools in the mail yesterday for my Airstream and I laid them out. My Airstream is not even in the state with me, but I laid out all my tools and like read their books about how they work. So I love, you know, I love a tool. So all those tools, uh, we also are going to be, uh, giving out stickers and just fun ways of saying thank you for believing in us and believing in making spaces and thank you for joining us in trying to create both physical spaces and emotional and us at patreon slash making spaces um we give all our information on how else to find us at the end of this episode but i just wanted to make sure that i highlighted that before we talk about our uh amazing guest anything yes, you want to share I before mean, we happen amazing i mean i king um... Ivy King, guys. Yep. Ivy King. Ivy King put out a song this summer as a solo artist for the first time. Ivy King is a friend of mine. And uh, I have to tell you, this conversation was really fun. It was yes. filled. Yeah, it was filled with these ideas of um, what does it mean to be an artist who is finding their own voice and making space for who they are? Um, we talked through this idea of even like being in a cover band as a closeted, uh, gay person was kind of, it made sense. And then sort of as living into Ivy's fullness, um, living into even like, she was almost a closeted someone who had a banking job. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought that was the most interesting part that she worked at a bank for so long. Because I have a vision of what a bank person looks like, and it is not Ivy. No, Ivy has got some dope style, we'll be honest. <laughs> like from one big dangly mm. earring, and even uh, the, the videos that she does, she's amazing. Um, and so I think it's really interesting to see how she's coming into her own and making space and and not forgetting where she came from. So, so Ivy King is someone who grew up in the evangelical church, uh, was a musician just because she decided she was going to be, uh, then became a banker and then walked away from it all and reclaimed who she was and um, is married. Uh, her wife is a nurse and they travel the country right now, um, really front lines, amazing work. And Ivy um, has both her cover band that she's involved in, but also her um, uh, her own solo project. And I love the fact that you can't help watch her stuff and see that she's just inviting other people into being them, their full selves. And it's incredible because there are teenagers who, um, you know, she was a youth pastor for a long time. And I feel like she continues to care for youth, but in a way that's more authentic to herself. Would you say that's fair? I think that's very fair. She has this presence about her that kind of invites you into that, into just being yourself for the sake of being yourself, you know, not because somebody else is telling you to, or because you feel like you have to, but because it's liberating. I love it. So with no further ado, I know we've chatted for a long time. I hope that you enjoy this conversation. And more than that, I hope that it inspires you to um, come out of that creative closet. Let it, let it, yeah. let yourself be seen. So enjoy the episode and we'll catch you on the end. Well, 
we feel like we have so much to lose and we do i mean you lose a lot sometimes um but there's just so much more to gain on the other side um, i can say that from personal experience my life is I, I look back and I'm like, who was that person? Like, I can't believe I was so oppressed and closeted and like anybody else could control my life. <laughs> um, yeah, it feels good, but it's, it is very scary. Hello and welcome to the Making Spaces podcast, a podcast about making spaces for people both literally and figuratively. Um, I am one of the hosts, Sarah Heath, and this is my other host. Josie Jimenez. And today we have on the fantastic recording artist, Ivy King. Um, and Ivy, you are so many things. You're a recording artist. You're a drummer. You are a, I like to, you're the only person that I've ever seen do bathtub karaoke, which we'll have to talk more about. But you're also a kid who grew up like in the church. Then you were a youth pastor, I believe. Um, and you have done so much to make space for other people, not just in the creative field, but also like people who are coming out of church experiences. So I'm gonna start with, before we jump into this super fun conversation, start with what is one of your favorite places and why? Oh man, um, I knew this question before we started this and it's still so hard to narrow it down to one place. I feel like you the easy answer cheat. would- I feel like the easy answer would be like concerts, but I haven't been to one of those in so long that I honestly can't, you know, cause 2020, I don't, I don't feel like it's fair to use that one anymore. So um, with the scope and through the lens of 2020. Um, Which is now 2021. Echo, so whatever. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Echo Park, which is in hey. California literally my favorite space right now why um because so my wife is travel nursing which I'm sure we'll get to some of that um and I'm with her um and I don't know there was just this feeling of being in this small little tiny community amongst a massive community which is LA um, that felt really comforting. And we were in a tiny little apartment, which we're used to living in like 2,200 square feet home, like whatever. But we were living in this studio apartment with our three dogs in a health crisis. And uh, I have never felt so comforted. It was strange. I don't know. I could like walk out of my like studio apartment and go overlook the whole city. Um, it was the most creative I've ever been able to be. I don't know. It just felt really good. I mean, that that's a great answer. I actually love that you said concerts to start. Um, I don't yeah. know if I've told this story on the podcast or not, but I didn't fit in. I know shocking uh, to seminary, uh, especially the first couple of months. I really felt like I was, I felt I always sort of liken it to Legally Blonde where um, I have a degree in biology and psychology in my undergrad. And so I go to this school for theology and I thought it was going to be like a giant Bible study, but I also had been like friends with mostly like at the time they were called like scene kids. And I only ever went to concerts. And even though I was a total sorority girl in college, I also spent a, most of my time at some sort of alternative punk rock show for music. Like I was some weird stuff anyway. Um, so I ended up uh, getting tickets. So I didn't feel like I fit in at all. And I got tickets 
to go see, uh, what's it called? A dashboard confessional. I know guys, it was a while ago. Okay. I thought, I thought you were going to say DC talk. Oh, oh no, talk. no, no. I wasn't that kid. Um, I don't think you're so that old. <laughs> I'm not that young. I actually am like ish DC talk ish. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit younger than that, but close. Um, anyway, I <laughs> looked down at the ground and saw all these Chuck Taylors and I started crying because it felt safe and I felt like I fit in and I felt like like even like it was just the weirdest thing of like going from Duke an incredibly academic um place and there were like I just hadn't met them yet there were like the indie rock kids like they were there I just didn't know them yet so like being in that environment and there is something about like we've collectively agreed that we like this thing right and so I feel like it does create this weird space um, I think about so many people who go to churches who they hate the theology, but the music makes them feel something. So I think it, yeah, it's, I think absolutely concerts are a great space. And I love your idea of parks. Um, Josie, I find it fascinating. So many of the people we've asked during this pandemic where your favorite space is, a lot of them have been an outdoor space. Right? Yeah. I feel like when you're stuck inside most of the time during a global pandemic that any level of being outside is probably super comforting, you know, uh, and science says that nature is very good for your brain, <laughs> even a picture of nature. I don't believe in science. That's not true. I do believe in science. Um, how, how could oh. you? They change their minds so many times. It just doesn't make sense. You know, science. Oh, <laughs> science. We're joking. Um, disclaimer, we love science. In fact, I just finished talking to my dad, who is a scientist. Um, <laughs> So yes. I want to know how you went from being church kid, because did you start playing music in church? Yeah, that was the first place I started playing. Like, um, I got a drum set. Well, my parents wouldn't buy me a drum set because girls don't play drums. So I guess started making space for myself at a very young age because I was like, no, I'm going to do that. And I purchased my own drum set. So I think I was 13 and just started playing drums and then I started playing at church so that was the first place I you purchased playing. your first drum set for yourself yeah. at 13. yeah I mean like my parents finally got the clue like I was serious and they helped me out after I had been saving for a while but I did Sick. and you and you started playing at your church was it like for the youth group or was it for like the church it was in the church? main it was in big church but it it was like a smaller church. I'm sure it was God awful. Bless them for allowing me to do that. <laughs> Honestly, bless it. any parents that let their children play drums because it's it's the worst. Drums are so loud. Oh, yeah. So bless bless the parents who allow their children to it's do it. It's so funny because my parents, I come from a really musical family and very churchy musical family. <laughs> So my parents signed me up immediately for music classes because I had an affinity for it. Um, and I like to mess around, but I hated, I hated learning the piano was the first instrument I learned how to play. I fucking hated the piano. And then they let me settle on learning the guitar, but I also hated the guitar because it hurt my fingies. And <laughs> it does hurt fingies. And um, eventually they tried to get me to learn the drums at one point, I think. And, like their last ditch effort like just please play something in the church band please play something in the church band but you know I, I only ever got to the the singing part 
which they really you know were bummed out about but they let me they let me settle for singing I guess it's so funny I was the opposite I played guitar or piano growing up um and the coolest thing about the way that we learned to play piano was in community so our piano teacher um I don't know what he had going on internally but he could teach a piano lesson to all of us had keyboards that had headphones and he could walk up and down and tell if we were playing the right thing is that crazy yeah he was amazing um, but the thing that always kind of disappointed me a little bit was my brother's best friend. My brother convinced his best friend to take piano lessons with us. Um, and my brother's best friend, which by the way, we took piano lessons in this little town of Bracebridge, which is the setting of the movie Lars and the Real Girl. So like just a tiny little town, like super snowy. My mom would drive us at night to go to piano lessons. And my brother's best friend who did not want to take piano lessons at all is now a professional composer for film and like he sat down with the books so you know how disheartening it is when you're in one book and the kid next to you just like flying through the books that was my experience of learning piano so then in college I took guitar one of my best friends I'd played soccer with in high school and then him and I went to the same college he's now a studio drummer in LA he's actually a pretty well-known drummer on Instagram he is a it's called Steven's drum shed like he's insane as he like drum for mute math for a a couple of shows like he's insane he literally tried for two weeks to teach me drums ivy this will make you want to pee your pants because he looks at me and i'll never forget because he's the most positive person and he's now a professional drum instructor studio drummer he can work with anyone and he goes huh i don't think you'll ever play the drums which is really confusing to me because you've got a lot of rhythm, but you're real bad at this. <laughs> so great. I gave up. That was my making space for, turns out I'm not a drummer. And I've always, I've always loved like double bass. Like I love the drums. Oh, really? You love that? Oh, yes. Oh God. There- Remember, I'm old. Yeah. I mean, that is a whole vibe. Like the, I cannot do that. I would never try. That would be the one thing I would never try. Yeah, do well, a little it's, bit, it's a very specific niche. It was like, uh, like alternative Christian music to like, I wasn't listening to DC talk. I was listening to like beloved and stretch Armstrong and like, right. just that like Zayo, like stuff. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> under, oath. I just under oath. Oh, I remember having a fight with my first pastor I ever worked under. And she, um, I hope she never listens to this. I felt like her and I just weren't similar at all. We weren't having a fight. I don't fight. I can't, but I remember driving and I think music does this too, right? It makes the space in us. I remember driving to meet with her and the thing that calmed me down was listening to the loudest under oath, like song. And then, and then I think, how is that calming me down? And that's when I learned I have ADHD. Um, <laughs> Perfect. So tell us a little bit about uh, enough about us and our <laughs> musical ventures. Tell us about this sense of your leading music you're 13 that's super young to kind of get into the leadership of church how did how did you sort of see yourself moving from a musician in church to now like a a recording artist out in the world I mean how can you tell us a little bit about your journey of because I think it's so helpful for others to hear how you got to where you were because it wasn't a straight at all (laughs) straight (laughs) no it wasn't (laughs) (laughs) very zigzaggy oh god that's such a long question um 
There's I can break so it down many. if you want. Yeah, do that. And then we can go from Let's there. Let's start with, how did you get from leading music to leading in the church? Um, so my parents got divorced, um, like right around that age, right around 13, 14. And I started going to an Assemblies of God church with my neighbor friends and um, good old AG. Josie's perked up because she knows the AG. Ooh. Look at her. Yeah. <laughs> um, they'll suck you right in with their youth camps. Um, oh, yeah. God bless them. So I, I really did feel like um, I've had a lot of deconstruction about what faith looks like for me in the last couple of years. But I really do still believe that I had a, uh, an experience at one of those camps. Um, I don't know what exactly I'll call that experience but I do at that point I I felt like I was being called into the ministry um don't know what I call that anymore have no idea but I felt a presence speaking to me of sort so um I also there was a leader there and I thought she was really cute and she went to bible college so maybe that was it maybe that was the spirit I don't know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I mean that just wow that just like I had an opinion. I went to the Baptist Student Union more than I went to the Wesley Foundation because their worship leaders were cuter so maybe. I thought those guys I, I think maybe sometimes our hormones lead yeah. us G Baptist these are the two people that traumatized me the most oh my I gosh <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm not gonna say they didn't traumatize us either we just yeah <laughs> we signed I'm, up for it not. <laughs> yeah <laughs> So I ended up going to the same Bible college that she went to, um, and she was no longer there, but you know, I, I went that route. Um, and I loved students a lot. Like I loved being around students. I couldn't imagine leading adults, God bless adults, but we're very difficult. Um, yeah, it's a lot. So yeah, it's a lot. Um, so I was like, I'm going to be a youth pastor. And I was very into that. Um, very into it. I loved it. Um, but there came a certain point when I started heading towards the graduating state and the like hiding the fact that I had a secret girlfriend <laughs> state um, the whole time I was in Bible college that I was like, oh my gosh, I am not going to be able to be a pastor. Um, because my brain at that point didn't know that there were other churches and spaces that were creating spaces for um, LGBTQIA plus pastors. Um, so I went a different route after that and went into banking. That's like, banking. So, oh, so everyone, as soon as you're done listening to this episode, hop on to Ivy's Instagram because friends, her banking look it feels a little like drag it feels a little (laughs) like what it feels like ivy playing the role of a banker when you posted that picture i thought you were kidding no professional ivy she's a person it's wild (laughs) i had i had a corporate car and everything i mean oh like real banking wow like oh no like like button up cardigan banking like pin skirt pencil skirts every day bank- banker that was my me. worst nightmare cool cool cool, cool. yeah and but as drove, a creative yeah yeah doing that but I did well so I started as a part-time teller you know whatever and just kind of worked my way through it because I was gay and closeted nobody knew at this point 
And so I just was like, well, I'm gonna have to do something to be successful of some sort. And so I just kept working my way up in the banking industry and finally found myself kind of able to be in a creative role, um, which was, I liked my last position at the bank, even though I was wearing pencil skirts every day. But I got to be around people. That's a great transition question. You liked your position, but there was something, right? Right. That caused you to move out of it. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I had all, all through then, um, I was closeted. Nobody knew I was gay except for everybody that knew I was gay, (laughs) (laughs) you know, all the people secretly probably talking about it. Um, but I, um, I was closeted and also I started doing music super late, man, this is, there's a lot of things that were happening, but yeah, I started doing, I didn't play any music at all at that point ever, other than at church. Um, I was kind of playing at a mega church at that time too. Um, it was a mega church and I was playing drums there doing the, the, the pastor or the, uh, banking thing. Then I went through a really bad breakup and I, um, started doing music because I was like, well, I'm miserable. Mm. (laughs) So I was like 27, 26 or 27 at that point and started doing music for the first time, uh, in public spaces other than church. And so did that for a while, played in a cover band. I still play in that cover band. It's fun. It's how I make money. Um, but I ended up leaving the bank at that point. Um, what, three years ago, three and a half years ago, I think I left the bank and went on tour with a girl named Chapel Rome, um, who was signed to Atlantic Records. And that's how I met you, actually. Mm-hmm. I met you when I was on that tour. So I had, I knew that I was going to get myself out of banking at some point because I started, um, I don't know. I just started open, opening myself up to other things other than the little closeted world that I have been living in. <laughs> right. And that's closeted in so many ways, right? Like here I am. And, you know, you're going through this, like, I have a closeted relationship. I have a, like, I have a closeted passion. I have all these things. And I think the reason, um, I so wanted to talk to you is I think the boldness with which you were like, and I'm out, like I'm just out in every way. And, and even if I am rejected, um, I'm rejected for what I really am instead of what I'm not. And I, and I can't reject parts of myself anymore. So I, I just think it's, I'm imagining Ivy first breakup, not doing what she loves. How does she, did, did you have hope for what is now? Um, man, I was so miserable for so long because it was a, it was an eight, almost an eight year relationship. And so it was basically a marriage at that point. I mean, we had bought a house together. Um, yeah, were you guys roommates? (laughs) We (laughs) We were roommates, you know, the classic roommate bit. We had three bedrooms and a dog together. It's fine. We're roommates. Totally normal. Um, and so, she, you know, she ended up leaving, um, married a pastor, of course, you know, the whole, the whole thing. Um, like a dude pastor? I, yes, she did. Oh. She did that. She went that route. She Ooh. did it. Insult to injury. I, mean, I know, you know, but if she's happy, there you go. I don't know. But it was like, 
back to my life forget about her um um, no but I I was so miserable because it was like going through a divorce and nobody knew so I was so um I just devastated and I had no friends at that point because I lost everybody Um, my whole tribe was gone because I left the church (laughs) that we were at um, because I just had to I couldn't do it anymore I was so miserable um and slowly there started to be hope um and it came through people they would would be like random people that I would meet um my best friend to this date um I met her at the bank the final bank that I worked at and she was the first person that I told that I was gay and she literally looked at me and was like okay and I was like oh oh my gosh there's a world outside of what I was living in um and there that just kept kept happening I did that slowly for about a year and a half two years of telling people that I was safe around that I felt safe to tell Um, and as they started to uh, expand with me and grow with me and there were several friends that didn't I don't think understood it but now are completely fine Um, but the longer that I started to meet people that were like oh this is awesome like whatever or I knew you were gay, you know, that whole vibe. And it was okay. There just became a point where it did become the, I don't give a shit anymore. I'm going to be myself and this is it. And I came out publicly on the news. (laughs) Okay. Let's hear that. (laughs) Yeah. So I still was closeted at the bank, um, my very big girl job where I had 48 banks. So I would go to all of these banks, um, work with bank presidents, you know, that whole bit. So I was kind of mortified to come out um, because, well, there's that, the boys club. And I got a phone call from a local organization, um, which was called No Repeal. And they were um, an LGBTQ um, thing that was funded through the Equal Rights Campaign. And this turns out our, the city that I was living in, um, Springfield, Missouri, they were trying to overturn a, um, a law that was giving gay people rights. They were trying to overturn, you know, housing. So basically they were trying to take it away. Um, and they contacted me because the giant church that was assemblies of God in the area and the assemblies of God in Springfield, which is the Mecca of the AG was the main funding for coming against gay people they found out I was gay they knew that I went to Central Bible College and so they contacted me they knew I knew John Lindell which was the mega church pastor I had done promotional videos with him and things um, in the past and so they knew I knew him they knew I had a relationship with them and they exploited me for a very good purpose (laughs) (laughs) and holy And so I, I just was like, they were like, were you willing to tell your story? And I was like, you know what? No time like the present. And I came out on local television. So any, yeah. So anybody who didn't know at that point, (laughs) they got a really great awakening in the paper and on the local television. So, um, and then it was like reposted all over, you know, my Facebook and stuff, which honestly has been awesome because it was a quick blow. And anybody who uh, knew me at Bible college and such kind of have hung on to see like what the shit storm was going to be and have gotten to watch my life um, kind of evolve, which has been really interesting. So I think that's the, um, 
you had the worst happen, like the worst case scenario, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think when people, in some ways you had the safest thing happen. Um, I am always astounded when people are willing to um, share with me, you know, when they come out to me, I, I often am like, gosh, what an honor. Like what sacred space, um, why, I, I just appreciate that you found me safe. And they say, yeah, your non-anxious presence around this makes it easier. And it's like a, as many experiences as I've, I have as when I have with you, when I say this big thing that feels like I'm gonna be shunned and then the experience is, nope. Like I've, yeah. I've actually had someone reflect to me that my response was so shocking to them because it was the same as the one you talk about where you went, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I know that's your girlfriend, not your friend. Or right. another one was like, hey, another, I outed my friend by saying to him, hey, my friend's into you. You don't have to date him. I'm not sure he's a Christian. I know that really matters to you. And he was like, wait, what? <laughs> like it was, he's like, and you're fine with this? I was like, yeah. Also, like, you don't have to date him. And he was like, no, wait, 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 let's return to where. And now he's living this beautiful outed life with an incredible partner and just such beautiful beauty. But the thing that they often say is my worst fear is that everyone will find out at once and I won't be able to have that personal encounter. Right. And so you walk around in fear. And I think anytime we have anything that we're holding in, whatever it is, whatever our secret is, um, like I can't imagine, you know, you hear these stories about people who murdered someone like 20 years ago and like I would, I couldn't do it. But carrying that around and then to experience the worst, but the next morning Ivy wakes up and she's still breathing and she's still got a lot to give to the world. And there's still people standing with you. And yeah, some of them are spectators who are like waiting to see what will happen in the shit show. And some of them are honestly fans going, all right, now let's see what blooms. So right. I think it's sometimes we have to step into that, like, oh my gosh thing. Yeah. It was so scary. Um, it's horrifying. And I know I, I still have, um, gay people that now reach out to me that I went to school with and mm. like which has been so honor like it's such an honor to me that somebody would trust me with that I mean you get it like it's just especially somebody who's so mortified because they have so much to lose they yeah. feel we feel like we have so much to lose and we do I mean you lose a lot sometimes um but there's just so much more to gain on the other side um I can say that from personal experience my life is I look back and I'm like, who was that person? Like, I can't believe I was so oppressed and closeted and like anybody else could control my life. <laughs> like, um, yeah, it feels good, but it's, it is very scary. Um, but it, it's wonderful to hear other people like that I went to school with or, um, or just kids that find me on the internet and they're like, hey, this is my story. I'm scared to come out. How do I do this? Or, you know, is my life going to end if I, if I tell people this? And the answer is no, but you have to make yourself feel safe. Um, and finding a couple people who will make space for you is, is all the difference for me. At least it was. So. Yeah. And then I your think life... that's... Go ahead. I'm sorry, Josie. No, I was just going to say that I think that's the most interesting part of being like the bold and the brave, right? They say a lot of people are like, oh, well, why are you so, a lot of old people, why are you so out there? Why do you have to be so like bold with your beliefs? Why do you have to keep telling everybody that you do this or that, or you are this or that? And then you get like these messages from people saying like, I have been so empowered because you have been yourself and you dared to be brave. 
And a lot of times because of social media, we don't really think that anybody's really listening or paying attention until you get the one person that's like, you really made it so safe for me to come out or made it so safe for me to be myself. And I think that that's what your story kind of comes to be, right? Is like you made it safe for other people to come out or to consider coming out at the very least. Does that inform your art at all? Yes, I think so. Um, my art by myself is still so new. Um, so you guys are talking about piano lessons earlier and man, I wish my parents would have made me do that. Um, because drums don't make music, like they make loud noises and then they fit into the music most of the time. And then they become like the best part of the music in my opinion, but you have to have the other stuff with it. Um, or else it's not, not working. So when I, I, I've been playing drums for bands, whatever. Um, after I toured with that girl from Atlantic records, I was like, I really want to do something by myself. Um, through a lot of therapy, I realized that I had a lot of codependent <laughs> things that I needed to work through. Um, and I'd really never done anything fully all by myself. I had been in an eight, re- eight year relationship. I had been letting everyone's opinions control how I lived my life, um, being closeted, etc. And so I was just like, all right, I'm doing it. I'm going to be an artist all by myself. I'm writing everything myself. I'm playing all of the instruments. I'm doing all of it. And so I asked for a keyboard for Christmas um, in 20, it would have been 2018, got a keyboard. short time ago? Yeah. Stop it. Okay. Well, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I got my keyboard, which, you know, would have been January, 2019, really, um, and started practicing and uh, released my first single uh, in 2020. And I did all the music for it, wrote all the lyrics. It's so fun and so good, guys. It really, really is. Like, and yeah, she's my friend and I knew her before this, but I, you know how like you trepidatiously listen to your friend's work and you're like, ooh, what if it's not, what if it's not great? And I, I've always bad. like, I, well, I've always dug like your style and stuff. So I'm like, and I've heard your stuff, but it was all cover stuff. So I was like, all right, here we go. And then I was like, oh no, this is like really good. It's so good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's like my first, and it's horrifying to do that. Like it's like coming out. It's exactly like that because you're putting, which anybody who's doing art or creating, um, especially from within yourself and you're not doing covers or whatever, it's, it's horrifying (laughs) because it's all you. Um, but I wanted this, I needed that to be 100% myself, like, which felt really good. I'm proud of it. Um, I definitely like want to keep expanding and want it to change and get better and, you know, all of that stuff. But like, I listen back to it still. I, I think I wrote it like uh, almost a year ago. I'm like, oh, I still really like that song. Like it represents how I felt at the time. So I love, I love too the metaphor of like being in a cover band and being closeted. Right. Right. Like you're, you're doing it all right. And it, but it's just not coming from who you are. And then to come out, you're married now. How long have you guys been married? Three and a half. We'll be married four years in June. Mm, Hold on. Shelby, have we been married for three and a half years? 
okay. Yes. I love that Shelby handles the, that information. Yeah. She goes, mm, yeah, which either <laughs> means like, I'm going to kill you when you get off of this or like, I'm having to think about this too. <laughs> way, I mean, you guys, yeah, either way, they are, I actually, it's so funny that you say this idea of, um, Josie mentioned that like you being fully you allows other people to be fully them. So um, when I started this position that I met, two women who, um, they met each other at church. Uh, neither of them were particularly out. One of them, I would say is one of those people that you were like, "Mm, I'm pretty sure most people had a feeling. And the other one is very much like, wow, uh, that's awesome. Don't fit any of the stereotypes. And, and both of them had grown up in very religious. So when they told their pastor that they were together, I thought their concern was that they're very different. One is very sporty spice outdoorsy and the other one is very businesswoman, um, you know, but they're so, I think, you know, they were asking me, what do I think about it? I'm like, well, you guys are really different, but I like feel like, you know, it's kind of neat. Like you bring out these things in each other. And the one girl was like, that's your thing. And then her whole thing was like, I, you know, a couple of years into the relationship, she said, um, it's really hard for me to imagine our marriage. Cause we both like a wedding, because we both sort of have a more feminine style, even though we both, right? And I literally used your wedding photos to be like, you can just be yourself and nobody has to wait. Like, there is no rule. And I actually used you as an example of like, here's a couple I know, they're super both adorable. Not one of them has decided to not be adorable. They're just being themselves. And they both were like, oh, oh, and I think they follow you guys on Instagram and you don't know That's them. Awesome. They're getting married this this next year they just got engaged that's so exciting Mm -hmm. yeah no it's so true like we both were like we want to wear dresses we both wanted to walk down the aisle um so we just had to get very creative with that so we both walked down the aisle together with our dads all four of us linked arms and it was really precious oh that's so cute oh their (laughs) wedding photos are beautiful it was fun and also um I wanted it so that is the thing if we're talking about creating spaces exactly how we want them to be or whatever I like I am such a perfectionist as far as like timelines especially for like a party or anything like that I'm like this has to be perfect I've worked in a church so I know how to do a service like this has to happen um and so well and mega church so there's that So I was really, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, dedicated to the timeline, but I didn't want that to happen at our ceremony because I have a problem with disassociating. Thank you very much, trauma. Um, (laughs) So I knew that about myself and I was like, we are not doing, we're not doing chairs. We're only having, I only wanted like two people there, but Shelby was like, I really would like my family there. So I was like, okay, fine, whatever you want. Um, so we had family, our close friends, um, and we stood in the middle of the field that was at her parents' house. And um, did I say no chairs? I didn't mm-hmm. want chairs. I didn't want music. I didn't want any decorations because I knew if anything went wrong, I would be thinking about that rather than thinking about marrying my partner. And so um, we only had one little thing to stand underneath and it was amazing. And then we had a party later and it was epic. We did Wedstock um, theme and we had like four bands play. Um, Her dad made us a stage and we got (laughs) shit-faced. 
<laughs> the dream, the whole dream. It was so fun. It was great. And we slept in, we slept in a tent that night mm. um, and other people slept in tents. It was, it was so fun. So that's what you can do when you have a giant field. So Josie uh, had a wonderful wedding planned. Uh, her and her partner, his family, everyone. I mean, it was right. And then COVID hit. So then oh, yeah. she got married in front of our church so that they were married. Um, and now they're planning an epic redo. Heck I mean, yeah. it's already planned. <laughs> That's the worst part about the wedding is that at this point, I would kind of say, fuck it, I don't need it. But uh, it's all paid for. <laughs> so yeah. you kind of got to have it. Um, but it's pretty similar. We're getting married in the middle of the desert. Um, awesome. And it's super casual because I don't like weddings. Me neither, <laughs> says the girl who's super good at wedding photography. Did you, Maybe. Josie, did you like that you, like that plans changed and it was just in front of a church? Was it more sacred for you? Was it different, better? Yeah, I liked, I enjoyed not having to deal with my mother in the planning process for that. Um, my mom is very bougie and I'm very um, not. I don't really care. She had this huge problem with me getting married in the desert as opposed to a, a venue, you know, and a, having this giant princess gown and having everything all nice and prim and proper with flowers everywhere. And I came up and was like, well, actually, we're getting married in the desert and there's going to be uh, lots of people getting shit faced. So I hope you're <laughs> all right with that. <laughs> and she is not all right with alcohol. So it's a huge issue. Um, but also there's 450 people invited. So not a lot of people, not a lot of venues accommodate that for no money. And I'm paying for this shit. So, you know, I'm doing what I want. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, it was a lot more sacred in the sense that I liked that it was thrown together. It was super last minute. And I hadn't even considered getting married in front of our church until I was talking to Sarah about it. And she's like, why don't you just get married here? And I was like, oh, yeah, I work here. I do what I want. I got keys to the place. <laughs> get married in the middle of the night if I want. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can always get married. Like, I legally could just, hey, you, me, let's do this. I'll sign the thing. <laughs> yeah. Sarah. Why haven't you been doing that? You could get I married mean, so many times. I mm-hmm. I tell you. <laughs> yeah. But it was a uh, it was cute that it was it was just our parents and then some beautiful. of our closest friends and Sarah was there. Um it was super small. Everybody stood up. We just did the thing. Um uh, my friend married us cuz he was a pastor at the time and he didn't use any submit to your husband language <laughs> or anything of the nature so it was pretty sweet my mom was not happy my mother wore white to my uh little wedding so So that was my introduction to Josie's mom was I was like oh and again I didn't know that we were getting out of our cars because this was very early in the start of the Mm -hmm. pandemic so I wanted to just honor Josie's family but I wanted to be there because at this point Josie and I's friendship and work relationship was getting I just wanted to see it you know I just wanted Mm -hmm. to be there for it so like in my car but I'm like I don't want to interrupt and out gets this her mom is gorgeous beautiful woman in a white dress and I was like oh no (laughs) like my first instinct (laughs) having been a bridesmaid seven times Mm -hmm. and a maid of honor twice Mm -hmm. my reaction was like oh no (laughs) like I wanted to like like tackle your mom white (laughs) no yes and everybody else was a little bit more casual 
Mm-hmm. Oh. But your mom came and brought it. And I think that Bougie. makes sense. Mm-hmm. She needed somebody to do it. Somebody <laughs> so had she to chose show herself. Up. Yeah. She's like, well, if nobody's going to be a bride today, I will. Yeah. And it was funny because she's like, I had I didn't even notice. And I was like, okay, but everybody else did here. Everybody told her something because it's all family. And she was pretty upset about it by the end of the day. And it's like, well, you were the one that wore white. Mm-hmm. And I was like, typical mom. It didn't really bother me. It was just like, Ugh, great. And on Facebook, of course, the pictures are going to get posted. And that's the first thing all of my extended family noticed. Like, your mom wore fucking white to your wedding. That is such. <laughs> of course she did. Why would she do anything other than that to you? I was like, I don't know. Fuck it. Well, and I think that's the thing about both of you talking about knowing what spaces that you want to own and be like, this is the space and this is how I want it to be. If that was Josie's dream wedding, like you were talking about, if anything went wrong with this image that you had of it, Ivy, it would have like taken you out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the same for Josie, like it's fine that her mom did that. Cause that wasn't her deal anyway. And I think that's how you've dealt with it. Right. It's like, okay, this isn't my space fully anyway. So I'm going to be okay with it being whatever it is. So um, it's really fun to just know space makers like you guys who are like, I'm just going to be me and see what that does. And I think it frees people up to do the same thing. Like I, I mean, you're one of like very few people I have, we were just friends online. It was like the weirdest thing. Like, I don't even actually know how we became friends online, but we just I, were friends. I don't know. And you're like, I'm in town. I'm like, sweet, let's meet up. Like it wasn't any, like, it yeah. was just sort of like an old, I cannot explain it, but it just felt like you are so comfortable being yourself that it frees me up to be myself. I don't have to be your pastor. I'm just your friend. Like, it's just such an, a gift that people so rarely take time to recognize in themselves and others, just the ability to free space up. So I'm grateful for you. And what are you excited about? Um, we have one more closing question, but before we get there, I do want to know, like, as you continue, like you've got this crazy thing where your wife is a nurse and you guys we're going to travel nurse before COVID broke out, right? Like we, you have been talking about this for a while and then COVID breaks out and her first assignments have been in these major affected areas. Who, what has that been like? And then kind of, what do you see kind of the next iteration of how you guys are going to do life for a little bit? Oh boy. Um, yeah. So we decided we were going to travel. Um, and it was kind of one of those things where we were just like, fuck it, we can do whatever we want, which was another great example of us just doing whatever we wanted, which is awesome. Um, We planned it all out and we were like, we're going to LA, we get there. We were just gonna be there for three months um, Mm -hmm. and we get there. It was a terrible hospital for one, Kaiser. (laughs) I love Kaiser. (laughs) Poor those people get really terrible healthcare. We all know that. Mm -hmm. So she's, yeah. yeah. So she got there and she was like, this hospital's terrible already before COVID. And then um, COVID hit. And so she ended up working in a COVID unit, like Oof. the whole, the whole thing, you know, not having masks at work, um, wearing trash bags as PPE. Um, it was wild. Uh, we, I cried a lot. I've never been upset about her going to work. I cried every day, which is so not me. Like, I'm always like, everything's going to be fine. And I was just like, is everything going to be fine? And my job obviously stopped because I was going to be flying back and forth 
to my cover band in Missouri. Um, and I was flying back and forth from January, well, February, I guess it was a month I flew back and forth and then, you know, that kind of stopped. Um, so yeah, it was pretty wild her being in that environment. She still hasn't really, she's told me some stuff, but I think she's still experiencing a lot of PTSD from it. Yes. Yeah. Um, a, a lot. And, uh, like she talked to her therapist, uh, a few weeks, probably a month ago. And her therapist was like, would you like to unpack this? And she's like, no, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> I'm not ready. <laughs> and I was like, I get it. Like it was crazy, especially so we're from the Midwest. So because we were experiencing that in LA, like we're seeing all of this, like no one understanding what we're dealing with, what she was dealing with. I mean, and we lived in Hollywood, our first stint. And so we walked outside and we lived on Hollywood, like right by Hollywood Boulevard. And there was no one like apocalyptic. Like you, Mm -hmm. I mean, it was insane. And you can't explain that to Midwest people that aren't seeing it. Like it was just nuts. It was craziness. So all that to say, I don't know what I'm saying. It was insane. So we ended up staying in LA for eight months. Um, she left that hospital, went to a way better hospital, USC. Didn't work in a COVID unit for a while, which was really nice for her. She got a break. Um, and then we're in Dallas now. We just, oh, we went to Portland. Mm-hmm. Also, that was awesome. But uh, the restrictions are crazy. Like 10 p.m. lockdown, like, you know, just we've been in lockdown all year. It's fine. Um, but she didn't work in a COVID unit in Portland either, which was really nice, but we just got to Dallas. It wasn't supposed to be a COVID unit, um, but turns out COVID's really bad. And now it turns is. Out, yep. Turns yep. out uh, it's a 33 bed ICU, which is huge. And 31 of the beds are COVID. So mm-hmm. she came home yesterday and she's casually, well, I guess I'm in a COVID unit. I'm like, <laughs> oh God. So I don't know what life is going to look like. You know, we know, we know a lot more. Um, yes. and has she got her, uh, vaccine yet? She was supposed to get it, um, in Portland, but her contract ended like literally the day they started giving them out. So she's getting it here. Um, which is exciting. Great. Yes. Yeah, we know so much more. They know how to take care of people so much better. We have way more PPE. It's just not the same as it was it's when not. it first hit. I mean, but it doesn't yeah. mean that it doesn't feel the same. I'm right. excited I'm excited for what's next for you as an artist, as you continue to, and, and guys, you can say, I heard her first on the making spaces podcast. Um, Ivy King is your stage name. Um, check out where, so the last question I have, if you have one bit of like tangible advice, if you think through your whole story that I'm so we're so grateful that you shared and we're willing to share. Cause when I asked you on this podcast, you're like, what do you want me to do? And an email <laughs> didn't go through. So you just were like, all right, let's just do it. Jump in. So if you have one tangible advice as you think through your story and you think through um, how can people make space for themselves or others and you can choose yourself or others. Like what's one thing that you can do, whether it's to one thing you can do today or one thing you can do in general, just take this question wherever you want it. You kind of paused through half of that because of the internet. Oh, I said, is there one tangible thing that people can do to make space for themselves or others? And you can take that question however you want it. It can be something that they can do today or just in general. Mm. Well, how you can make space for other people 
I'll answer that one. That one is easy. Just listen to people, try to hear their stories without judgment. And if you don't understand somebody, especially somebody that's coming to you in a really vulnerable state, um, do your best not to make weird faces at them. <laughs> um, and to do your best to accept people where they're at. Um, mm -hmm. And because uh, that's really hard to do. It's hard for me to do sometimes um, for things I don't understand. But when people are coming to you in that state, they, they need really big open arms so that they can flourish later. Um, and then for making spaces for yourself, um, I think for a long time, like for me, I had to make space for myself because I was forced to do it, like because of places not accepting me or et cetera. Um, but I finally am like, I think the way to make yourself make space for yourself is just do really scary things, like do hard things. Um, the thing that really petrifies you the most is probably the thing you need to leap out and do out of faith. <laughs> I, Amen. Oh, sometimes I, I, Josie and I joke, but like oftentimes the last like 20 minutes, we'll have like all these long conversations with people and they're fun and they're great. But the last 20 minutes, I'll be like, I get goosebumps. People give some of their like, Whoa, thing. And then you can just talk forever. But that, that, the thing that scares you the most is often the thing you should do the most. That's a big one, friends. It's the scary thing. It's the thing that separates people, really. Some people are willing to take that nudge. If you want to call it the spirit, if you want to call it your inner voice, whatever you want to call it, oftentimes that thing is speaking to us and we don't, we're so afraid. And so um, even if this show, if all it does is highlight people who have heard that voice and stepped into it, it's been worth all of the effort. So thank you for joining us, Ivy. Where can people find you? How can people find you? How do they find you on Spotify? Um, on Spotify, I'm i.vking. I think it'll work just ivking. Um, and then same thing, Instagram's i.v underscore king. Um, and then if anybody does Facebook, it's the same. <laughs> I don't really do Facebook, but king is actually Shelby's maiden name which is where I got my um, artist name from. I wanted I to, that. yeah. I wanted my artist name to like, cause she took my last name, but I was like, I'm gonna take your for my creative purposes, so. Perfect. Yeah, so yeah, I please look me up. I'm, a, I'm on every sound thing, all of the social sounds, the Amazons, <laughs> the Spotify, the Apples, all of them. All of them. Yeah, and We're excited. More. There's more coming soon. Yes. Um, Josie, where can people find us? You can find us firstly at our website, uh, makingspacespodcast.com, which has everything on it. But if you want to find us otherwise, Instagram at makingspacespodcast. We don't have a Facebook because we're weird. Um, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash makingspacespodcast, where you can support us monthly. Um, and you'll get quarterly cool stuff like prints and makers boxes and it's other so fun. cool stuff we come up with. Uh, you can find me at Josie Takes the World and Sarah. You can find her at Rev Sarah Heath on Instagrams. Thanks so much, friends, for joining us for this uh, new year. Same us, but lots of great content. I'm so grateful for all of you. So we'll catch you here next week where we'll be saving a space for you. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Oh, thank you.
should 